the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. There's no better place to get all sports coverage, commentary, podcasts, long-form articles, quick hits, push notifications. You're keeping up with the entire sports world as you need it. So personalize it with your favorite teams, favorite leagues, and you'll get up-to-date information throughout the day on all the topics that you care about the most. Visit theathletic.com slash today and get 40% off your first year for subscription. You will not be disappointed. My name is Mike Chenet. Happy Wednesday morning. We're going to switch gears away from the NFL for a little bit and have an NBA-driven show. Keith Smith, our buddy, back here to kind of recap, I don't know, a bunch of months. It's been a while since we've had Keith on. And the NBA has kind of trotted along here through this COVID situation. And we are staring the playoffs down now. So it's postseason discussions. It's all-NBA discussions because there's a lot of financial ramifications to the all-NBA selections. Keith and Scott have a lot to say about that. And we've got a piece up on SpotTrack.com that discusses who could be gaining a heck of a lot more money if they're selected to this all-NBA team. So it's a big NBA show. We start with Keith Smith. I've got Scott on the back end sort of breaking down some of these extension possibilities. And uh, we'll be back with the NFL Friday, by the way, for those of you looking for more football talk. It's been a minute since we've had him on talking NBA. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, a great follow in season and certainly with the numbers off season. Keith Smith, welcome back to the show. Let's talk some basketball. Yeah, great. I'm excited. It's been a while. We got some uh, some hot topics for you because it's been a minute. And uh, I just want to start with this. We're winding down here, um, you know, with what we kind of expected to be a weird year. We've talked about how the, the standings are have been truncated really the whole way through. And now we're really into serious postseason ramp up time. Just your general thoughts on how this season has gone from a, a standings perspective, from a player perspective. And, uh, you know, maybe what can we expect over the next couple of weeks here? Yeah, I think in some respects it's gone a lot the way we thought it would. There have been a few surprise teams, like the the Knicks obviously are the biggest surprise in the entire league, and then uh, I think the Hawks have been a you know pretty pleasant surprise. They, they, we expected them to be good, but maybe not this good. But the standings being compact, that it's now gotten to the point where it's kind of compact in areas uh, where it's tight at the top of the conferences, then it's tight uh, in the middle and then tight in that playing range. And the NBA got what they wanted with the, with the playing tournament. They wanted teams playing it all the way out to the end. And, and here we are, and we've got only about three, four, maybe five teams that are truly kind of tanking for draft positions. So in a weird year, we've seen a couple teams dip back in the standings, but but it's really gone, I think, the way the NBA had hoped it would. So is it here to stay then in that regard? Do you think that that's been the successful leap for the play-in period? I, I think so. My guess is it's here to stay and there'll be some tweaks brought into it. I know part of it this year was they didn't want a team to have two weeks wiped out to covid or something like that, where they were just really undermanned and couldn't win games, and then that ruined their whole season. So my guess is we see some tweaks to this, but the number one thing that I personally would like to see come back in is the standings qualifier, mm-hmm. where if you're the you know six, the seventh seed and you have a four-game lead on the eighth seed, you shouldn't have to go through the play-in process. Then just give the eighth team the bye to that second round if you want to go all the way up to 9-10 and play it out that way. So I would like to see that added in because I think then you've already done your work. You shouldn't have to redo that work in a single-game elimination kind of scenario. I like that a lot. So my initial take and just one side of this is having these play-in games at least available to us now, it's allowing the regular season to kind of handle injuries. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like in, in, in an off year here, the Lakers would be in trouble. Like we're in real trouble of a serious slide out of the postseason, And, you know, they're losing their, their top two players for 30 plus games. They're going to be able to survive this thing. And I think that's a big part of it. You want your big teams in the postseason from a ratings perspective. That's where the cash comes, of course. So I do think there's there's that business side of it that's going to end up benefiting the league. But, you know, I, I like your points a lot. So hopefully there is some tinkering here and there. All right. I know Scott's got some uh, some contract minutiae to get to with you and uh, interested in your thoughts here. Go for it, Scott. Yeah. So right now, a lot of the hot topic is, you know, 
the all NBA conversation of who who's going to go where because the, the guards are so st- stacked. You've pretty much got three centers that are going to be sh- shoe-ins. It's just going to be a matter of where they fall. You watch a lot of the games. So I, I don't know if you're, you are a voter or not, but if you were a voter, how do you, how are you going to parse who gets the vote and who doesn't get the vote, especially when you're dealing with, you know, Lillard and, and Curry and Doncic, and you got all these guys that you're going to have to pick from. Yeah, I, there, there's a cut, and, and I do not ha- have a vote, um, so I'll start with that. So it's easier for me to answer this because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not held accountable for anything. Um, but no, it's um, there's a couple things for me uh, as I go through things like all NBA, uh, MVP, anything like that. And, and first is um, I like to factor in winning. I, I don't necessarily think that the guys putting up big numbers on an absolutely terrible team um, should be in the same level as some of the other guys. So that that's always uh, one part of it. The other piece that I um, come back to quite often is uh, I use the games played as almost more of a tiebreaker type of thing. So if I've got two guys and they're really close for me, um, I'll look at it as all right. Availability does matter. Were, were you there for multiple games? So I'll, I'll factor that in. So th- those are two things, you know, in addition to obviously statistical performance that I like to, to factor in. What's going to be very interesting this year, I think is for the number of guys who have contract extensions that are pending, that there is going to be real money at stake. For those guys, uh, you know, a significant amount of money in some cases uh, for those guys that that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And that's not necessarily something I think the voters should be factoring in, because quite frankly, in my opinion, I, I don't like that these awards and uh, you know, voting is tied to uh, contracts. But, you know, I do think you'll see maybe a little bit of that get factored in as well. Yeah, that's a good point, because a lot of the radio podcast reading that I've, I've been hearing of, of late, there have been some people that have brought up that, that factor of a player, if they're voted into the all NBA could make $30 million more. So in some minds, they are factoring that in if they feel that they should or should not get that bump and increase salary. So I, I, I think that's a great point because it, it is a, a factor, but to to what level do the, the media have uh, sure. precedence over giving or not giving that $30 million if it's built into that contract? So, but Keith, do you think, like, for instance, we had this situation with Kemba Walker not, Walker not too long ago in Charlotte. Do you think that knowing the contract that could come, for instance, right now, Doncic is sitting on this, right? He could... He could get himself into a Supermax rookie extension situation with an All-NBA berth here. If you're a voter, is that one of the things you're kind of looking at comparatively? Like, oh, is this guy is this guy really a $50 million per year player in this league? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, you can look at the stats and the numbers and the wins, but that's part of it, too. I mean, that th- you kind of hold a torch when you're the 40, one of the highest average paid players in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you hope not, right? I, I think that's that that kind of removes some of the purity of the voting, I mm-hmm. guess, if you will. Um so you kinda hope that they're they're not doing that but I, I think in reality that is gonna factor in and in in three places where I think you know just this this year into next year where it's absolutely huge is Boston, Miami and Utah with Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo and Donovan Mitchell. All of them can go from right now they're they're uh, low end max salary is projected to be 28.1 million. And if they, they trigger the designated rookie extension, they jump to 33.7 million. So that's a $5.6 million difference on three teams that are going to be right around or in the luxury tax. So that's already huge off the jump. Never mind the 32 plus million dollars that that factors in over the course of a five year deal. So, so I think that is where it starts to get to be really um, interesting. And you start to look at some of the, some of the voting. And I think you're right. I, I think there is a point where you, know, you may have some people who say, well, you know, it's close. And next year, this guy's a $28 million player, but 30 plus, that's that's a bridge too far. And that may be what they use as a tiebreaker. Sure. Uh, one more on this. Scott kind of led with this point. And 
we've talked about it a little bit before, and, and, and honestly, it's been a baseball conversation too, especially with how we evaluate players. You're going to fill out this list, this All-NBA list, three teams worth. It's almost impossible not to do this positionally, right? Is that something that needs to be addressed, you think, in the next couple of years where this this sport is basically positionless? I mean, the MVP is basically a center point guard right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the way it's it's definitely a different place than it was when you know all be it was put put in, you know, and it's 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 never changed. Where all star voting changed to three front court and two mm-hmm. back court. Uh all NBA has stayed two guards, two forwards and in a center. And you do have, you know, some ability to play there. Uh, you know, the various voters have talked about this. I think Zach Lowe has really done a good job breaking it down. How Anthony Davis is kind of one of the guys who's always in that conversation of is he a center, is he a forward? You get that little bit of leeway where you can put put him at both spots. But I know that there are coaches and um, agents around the league, and and I haven't really talked to a lot of players about this, but I know that they and very a lot of media people who are in favor of doing something more along the lines of ball handler. So that's probably more your traditional point guard than a big. So that is, you know, anybody who you classify as a big uh, two wings and then a swing player. So that swing player can be whoever you want. Um, you you can, can do it. And I think that is a more true representation to how teams are being built uh, right now, because you're, you're seeing we're seeing a migration in the league. Too. Some teams are playing multiple ball handlers on the floor or two point guard offenses. We're seeing some teams go uh, very with, you know, heavy on wings, you know, three wings and in a guard and in a big. Uh, some teams are playing without a traditional big for periods of the game. So I do think at some point in the next couple of years, there needs to be some some tweak. I've heard some people say, well, the center position is back. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, Embiid and Jokic are not traditional centers by any means Jokic certainly isn't an Embiid takes you know a bunch of three-pointers and jump shots and all sorts of other things that's not a criticism of either player by any means it's just you know let, let's not go back this is not the uh Olajuwon Ewing Shaquille O'Neal David Robinson era by any means let's do a quick recap on some trades the, the main trade I want to talk about to start is the Westbrook wall trade at, at this point, now that we've had time to, to breathe and look at this and see where things have gone, Westbrook has been on a tear. He's averaging a triple-double. Wall has been shut down for the year. Houston is slotted for the first overall pick once the lottery runs, if they land it there. Who, who won that trade looking back? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, can, can I come back and answer it after we see how the lottery plays out? Yeah. <laughs> Houston gets the number, right. number one overall exactly. pick. Maybe they did, right? But yeah, I think in a vacuum right now, clearly Washington did. Um, you know, Westbrook has been great for them. He's lifted them into the into the play, and they're, they're a team now. I think a lot of people, myself included, are expecting they may snag one of those playoff spots. I I, I certainly like them better than the Pacers at the moment, and I and I think. Um, I like them better than the way the Hornets have been have been playing, especially if Gordon Hayward isn't back or is limited. So I, I think that's been been huge for them. And I think with Westbrook now, um, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, I think we almost need to let's not really look at what he's doing in the first couple months of a season and let's let him play himself into whatever he's going to be because those first couple months tend to be a little ugly and then he looks great. And then from the Rockets side, yeah, Wall, Wall didn't play enough for them. Um, everything kind of went sideways on that that team this year. Anyway, fairly quickly on about a month into the season or so. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think you know they, they did get that first round pick from Washington too. Let's see where they land out in the lottery. But for this year, certainly the Wizards won that trade. Keith, you mentioned Just, that. Hold on, Keith, you mentioned that. Um, you know, you, you have trouble giving credit or, or or showing respect for great players on bad teams. That's been Westbrook's kind of mantra for the past, I don't know, almost decade or so, really. How do you characterize Russell Westbrook in this league? Maybe not so much right now, but maybe in his prime. Is he as great as some people think he is, as his stats say he is? Or is he just really a really good role player who has really good nights and over the course of a season can really pile it up? 
Yeah, I, I think you have to break him down into to pieces. I think especially in Oklahoma City, they built that system to do everything they could to make sure he got the rebounds. You would see plays where Steven Adams, the ball was falling into his hands, and he'd take a step back so Westbrook could grab it. And that, that was, you know, to some extent, whatever, who, who cares? I look at, though, when you take that part of it out, the assists are clearly – I don't think he's out there hunting them. I, I, you know, I'm somebody who grew up, or not grew up, I was old by then, but uh, watched uh, Rajon Rondo hunt assists, where it's like he's got a wide open layup and he's, you know, dropping it off or kicking it out or whatever. Westbrook doesn't really do that. He more gets them in the flow, <clears throat> excuse me, of the game. And then I think the other thing is, I think he is a guy who does everything he can to win. Sometimes that's too much or it's misplaced. Um, but but I, I have a lot of respect for for him with the way he goes after things and does everything he can to try and win games. Um, as opposed to, you know, I think some of these guys are, are, you know, especially in seasons, I don't know for whole careers, but in seasons, they're content to be on a bad team and just pile up points and stats and all these other things where if there's not going to be team success, might as well get mine and, you know, get, get that, that recognition that way. Are we going to continue to hear the Bradley Beal trade rumors or does the Westbrook Beal combination uh, squash that down to a certain extent? Uh, My guess is we're still going to hear some of it, but I I think this is now clearly very much being fan driven and it's being uh, trade machine driven and the like versus um, if you, if you look at it, we're not hearing those from the, you know, reputable insiders, you know, where they're they're more going the other way with it. You know, Beal's happy there. He wants to try to win there. He wants to be a reason why that team turns it around and those kind of things. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me if you look at it, because I think Bradley Beal, when the team was successful early on, he was either injured a lot or is very much seen as John Wall's team. So I think he now wants to be kind of seen as, hey, I can you know, be the guy who, who lifts this franchise back into being pretty good. And I think the fact that Westbrook has played well, they have some interesting young talent. I think we're probably you know at least another year out from any kind of serious trade talks with, with Bradley Beal because then what, what we'll do is next year we'll get to a point where, all right, if they're really struggling, and he has that player option, and if he's kind of changed his tune a little bit, that changes things completely. But I don't think this offseason we're going to get anything uh, serious as far as Beal rumors or, or even talks. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I'm c- quickly looking at their their cap situation next year, and it's pretty locked in. I mean, this isn't a team yeah. that's going to be able to unlock you know, anywhere close to that third player contract. So this is pretty much what you're going to get next year, give or take maybe a couple of exception signings. But um, you're, I, I think it does feel like one more year with this combo at least. Um, and I think the coach saved his job too, which is maybe the, the biggest win out of all of this, unbelievably. Um, yeah, that's, that part is absolutely stunning because I think yes. if we were even having this conversation two months ago, we would have had him near the top of the list of guys who weren't going to have a job next year. <laughs> hey, let's flip to some numbers while we're here because that's kind of our thing. Um, I'm going to give you the top five teams, Keith, that have the most guaranteed remaining cash on their rosters right now. So future year guaranteed money. And just kind of give me your thoughts on which one of these teams you feel the least secure about. Obviously, it's Milwaukee at the top with the Giannis Supermax. Utah's second, Boston's third, Philly's fourth, and the Clippers are fifth. Uh, I'm least certain about the Clippers just because I I worry that that could all fall apart very quickly um my my gut tells me too they're probably on the older end of the spectrum of uh you know age on their roster especially with a lot of their role players um and they've got got guys who have now had i'm just going to call it long-term injury concerns as far as it's very clear paul george Kawhi. Leonard are going to need to be managed throughout the course of the season. Patrick Beverly is still an important player for them. Um, he's never healthy through, through an entire year. Uh, and then they, they're just so limited in what they can do, especially, you know, assuming that they do re- resign Kawhi Leonard next year, which, you know, I, I do assume that they, that will happen. Um, but then, you know, well, what can you do to really upgrade that roster? You've got a couple semi-interesting trade pieces. I think Luke Kennard's contract was a very much a signing with the idea of, hey, now we've got a nice tradable contract in there. But but that that's the team I'm definitely certain about. 
What what happens with the Kawhi and Paul George situation? Because it's kind of on their shoulders. Kawhi's player option next year is questionable, I would say. Yeah, I would. I mean, I think he's definitely going to opt out, but I would assume he'll resign. But my thought there is, you know, Anytime we think we know what's going on with Kawhi, <laughs> we have to be reminded that that there's not a you know star player in this league we know less. So I think what is interesting is I, I do think that this playoff run is kind of big for them. Um, if you want to get him on a four or five year deal, and you know I'm not sure where the Clippers heads are at on, are on that either. But if that's your goal, then you better make a pretty good playoff run. Um, if you flame out early again or have a complete collapse and it becomes a disaster, I, I think that starts to become a bit more of a question. I don't know that he would necessarily leave, but I think it becomes a question then of, you know, all right, you know, do I only want to do a couple years here? Paul George is locked in long term, but that doesn't necessarily mean Kawhi Leonard will be. Okay. Let's flip to the bottom of this list. The team with the least amount of guaranteed cash going forward is the New York Knicks with less than 26 million. <laughs> I mean, this is a piece together one year deal kind of team. That I mean, we I think we talked about it before the before the season started, Keith, that you know, this was a trial by air kind of put together roster and a lot of things have fallen their way. I mean, clearly they're 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 competing every single night. What, what if you're in this GM chair right now, what do you do with this team going forward? I mean, almost immediately because you you, you want to ride this momentum here. Yeah, I, I think what you want to do is is be cautious. Um, you, you don't want to go nuts. This is not a great free agent class, uh, but I think we also do tend to get caught too much in thinking that cap space can only be spent on free agents. You have the ability to use that in trades. So my guess is they're going to come away with some form of um, – uh, at least semi long term point guard, because that is, okay. uh, I think, the biggest glaring hole for them. So, whether that is, you know, do you make a real run at Lonzo Ball, or do you go after a guy like a Spencer Dinwiddie, or do you sign Kyle Lowry for big money but only a couple years, or something like that? Is that, that the direction that, that they go? Um, because Randall's clearly now the guy there. Um, so, he's going to get, you know, his, his uh, it's not an auction, but it's a non guarantee. He'll get guaranteed. Um, is, is, you know, almost a certainty. And then RJ Barrett has really grown into his own. And then after that, it's just a kind of bunch of interesting role players. Mitchell Robinson, unfortunately got hurt. Um, we, we still be still a bit of a mystery box. And my guess is they're going to decline his, uh, their team option, make him a restricted free agent and try to get him on something that's friendly ish, you know, uh, nine, 10 million range to start with and then then from there then you're kind of picking through the role players they have like reggie bullock uh burks taj gibson um norland's noel rose you know which ones of those guys do you want to bring back Uh, i would say rose and gibson just because of the tibbs factor are probably guarantees and then then we kind of go go from there but i think i think what you can't do is you can't go crazy because you've got you know all this cap space and a ton of ton of money to spend and go nuts and start you know uh, spending big money on uh guys who are you know minimal upgrades i like like, i don't want to see them go out and sign will barton for you know, twenty million dollars a year or something like that. Um, and, and if you go the veteran route, if you because a lot of people mentioned Demar Derozan, I mentioned Kyle Lowry. If you go that route, you can almost pay those guys almost anything. Just keep it short term. You know, keep keep it to a year or two, and that, that's fine. That that's you know that no matter how big the deal is, if it's that short, it's never going to hurt you. But yeah, but if you start you know really overpaying like the Knicks in the past have done on second and third tier options, that's where they're going to run themselves right back into trouble. But it's a new front office, and I don't think they're going to do that. Oh, that's all music to my ears right there. And look, you mentioned the free agent class. <laughs> no, really, I, I am so anti long term contract right now. You, I, I can't even believe it, but. Um, especially with organizations like this, because it's not just about the cap space, it's chemistry. Clearly there's a chemistry yeah. situation happening here. And if you bring in the wrong person, no matter how, you know, how many points he can put up a night, you're going to mess this thing up. So there's, there's a part of that that's got to be factored in here, but you mentioned the free agent class it's weak, um, but not 2022 Keith. So no. you don't want to yeah. get yourself out of contention for that class. So whatever exactly. you do this year has to be short and sweet and with options, with flexibility, because there are some big, big names sitting here two years later. 
And, and I think the other important thing with the Knicks too is their fans are clearly, um, you know, they, it, it was always you know thrown out there. Well, they won't they won't suffer through rebuilding and all that stuff. And all I ever heard from you know real serious Knicks fans was like, I don't care. I just want this team to be good eventually. You know, <laughs> if it's going to take three years, let's just get there. And I think what's important now is if this was you know four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, coming off this kind of season, you would have seen this team say, now we got to go all in. We got to you know, sign all these guys and really try to you know, make sure we stay a playoff team. And it would have turned into a mess. I think this new front office is going to look at it and say, hey, even if we roll it over to some extent with a very similar approach, um, we can still be a very competitive team. And then you're absolutely right. Then that keeps us um, in position to, to do those big things um, in the offseason. And I think that's absolutely huge. Do you think them missing out on Durant and Irving and some of these other big-name guys, <laughs> LeBron, has sort of humbled them over these last few years and sort of had to internally recalculate how they were going to move forward, especially being in a big city, big market? I, I think that combined with having Leon Rose, who's an agent, running things now, um, he has that ability to go to to the ownership, to, to Dolan. And, and the rest of the group and tell them, hey, this is what the real perspective is. You know, that you, you can build yourself up as we're the Knicks and everybody wants to play here and all these other things. But this is what's really how you really viewed and thought of. And I, and I think that kind of frank honesty is really important because to that point of now, yeah, now you're not just, uh, you know, selling pipe dreams and just trying to, you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. and We're going to land these two big guys. And then when Rose comes to them and says, hey, I really think we have a real shot at free agent X, who is a true superstar, it's going to feel a lot more real than kind of a wish and a dream. Shifting to some of these signings that have happened towards the end of the year here, it doesn't get talked enough about these rest of season contracts that happen. Now, one of the things I notice is teams are signing these not just to a prorated minimum deal, and they're getting the two-year vet minimum on the cap hit. We're seeing teams give two, three-year deals where they're non-guaranteed in year two and in year three. What's what's the advantage between doing the one-year prorated for the rest of the season and still having some rights and going a two- or three-year deal with non-guaranteed options? Yeah, I think there's a couple things that, that come into play there. One is if the guy pops – you now have him and you've got him on a you know very friendly contract going forward. So wh whether that be over the final 10 to 20 games of this season or going into next season or whatever, you have them there. Then the other piece that that works out very well, like I look at it in the case of Boston, Jabari Parker was signed to a two-year contract and the second year cap hit is 2.3 million. Now what's important on that is if they get it's non-guaranteed but if they guarantee it that becomes a nice piece that you could attach to something in salary matching to go make a trade and that's where where i think that factors into this some extent too even if they're non-guaranteed well then those are easy to walk away from if you need cap space or you need the roster spot you just wave the guy and you move on it, it, or you can then always flip it to a guarantee and use them in a trade or those kind of things. But most importantly, I think it's about trying to lock up these guys. Like I look at a uh, Norval Pell for, for the Knicks. Um, he's a guy who has flashed at times. He has a lot of potential. So for the Knicks to sign him to a, to a progress of this year with two years tacked onto it, and then they gave him a little bit of bump because they had all that extra cap space. Um, what that allows them to do is have him, if he really breaks out uh, between the rest of this year or going into the summer, we're going to have summer league. Um, some of these guys could look good there. Um, then all of a sudden you've, you've got a nice you know, piece there on, on a very you know, undervalued contract. And that's important as you kind of build out your team. Keith, let's finish on this. I'll get you out of here. Um, I'm looking at three teams right now that, I'm not saying that they underachieved. We kind of kind of saw the writing on the wall with them. New Orleans, Sacramento, Toronto. You know, two of those teams have legitimate high-profile players. Um, not so much under contract because you mentioned Lonzo Ball could be on the move. Kyle Lowry could be on the move. Sacramento could move some of those pieces as they did this past offseason. Are any of those teams just going to flat-out blow it up? Yeah, I think maybe the closest is the... Um 
the Raptors. And but it's it's a weird blow it up for them because they still have Pascal Siakam under contract. They then Fred Van Vliet will be going in the second year of the deal he just signed, and then OG Ananobi's extension kicks in. But I think you could see that team basically wipe out almost every obligation they have beyond those three guys. And it, Malachi Flynn will probably be back because he's on a very cheap rookie scale deal. But beyond that, and then really look to rebuild uh, rapidly and on the fly here and get that team turned around quickly because those are three nice uh, building blocks. They're all still fairly young players. Um, and you've still got some upside, especially in a guy like Ananobi. So I think they're the closest. I don't think the um, the Pelicans, we'll, we'll see what they do. I, I'm nervous that they tried to, sh- to shortcut it in year one with, um, with Zion Williamson by making a bunch of veteran acquisitions and those kind of things, and that didn't work. And then they almost doubled down on that this year uh, when they traded Drew Holiday by adding the vets that they did there. And that, that has me a little bit worried for what their long-term plans are um, in New Orleans. And then the Kings are just, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very positive because it's an all-new front office there, um, you know, and I want, want to be there. But it's just, you know, it feels like I, I put something, I'm paraphrasing my, myself here, but put something on Twitter of like, it's going to be awful to be a Kings fan because it's, you go in every year with some hope, then they're bad. And then they win all these games at the end of the year that they shouldn't that take them out of. Uh, position to be in really good spot for for a draft pick so that's that's concerning i i think though you're gonna see that team with tweaks around the edges more or less run it back and they're gonna give marvin bagley one more shot here um i don't think he'll get an extension like fox did or healed did but they'll 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 see you know what it looks like with you know fox healed halliburton bagley barnes and then hopefully a resigned rashawn holmes and maybe that's enough to lift them but you know, I feel like we're in year, I don't know, umpteen of, you know, okay, maybe that's enough for the Kings. Well, what, real quick, you mentioned that the, kind of the roster construction, and I completely agree, especially out of the gate with Zion. What else is, is the Achilles heel right now for that New Orleans organization? Is it coaching? Is it really just the GM work? Is it just a bad mix of players from a chemistry standpoint? What, what do you think is really holding them back right now? Yeah, it's a little bit of all of it. I think they've built a weird roster that doesn't necessarily fit. Um, you know, Stan Van Gundy, when he had his most success here in Orlando, where I live, was um, was playing that, you know, four-out system around one, you know, uh, tremendous, you know, uh, all-NBA, all-star, MVP candidate, caliber big in Dwight Howard. Well, you could have almost rebuilt that in New Orleans, but you would have had to rebuild it against Zion. Now, I, I think they very rightly said Zion's not ready to be the anchor of the defense. Um, so they wanted to make sure they had somebody there. I just don't think Steven Adams is that guy. I, I feel like that was weird. I, that was a Keith, yeah, was that, that their was, mindset, you think? Because I, I still to this day can't figure out why you do that and then extend him. But, but that makes sense. Do you think he was trying to build like an old school fortified center? I think so to some extent, and you hit on it there with the extension. That's the part. The acquisition of Adams, that made sense in the, the bigger scheme of the Drew Holiday uh, trade where you were kind of trying to retool. It's that extension. Giving him you know $35 million over the next two years, that's where it really kind of, for me, I'm like, I, that part of it I don't understand because now all of a sudden you've got that and it doesn't, it looks terrible. Combine that with Eric Bledsoe's contract, that's $35 million. It's not dead money, but it's certainly not good money that you have. Now, if they turn that and flip that into a player who really fits with Zion and Brandon Ingram, then all you know, all things are forgiven there. I, I think what it was was you had a couple-year window around Ingram, Ball, Hart, and Zion, and then your own draft picks, you know, where you added uh, Jackson Hayes and those, those guys. You had a couple-year window where I think New Orleans fans were would have been patient with, all right, we're resetting this after the AD trade. We've got this, you know, all-time guy in Zion in here. Let's let's move this forward. And then what that turned into was. No, we're going to go for it. Last year with the Derek Favors acquisition, signing J.J. Reddick. Um, then it turned into, all right, well, that didn't work, but let's, you know, we're going to add Adams and Bledsoe, and then we're going to add a couple guys um, in, in free agency. We still have Reddick. We're, we're going to try to go go this route. And in, in those, those, these two years now, instead of a window, what you've done is you set up your fan base for, all right, we're trying to contend for the playoffs and we're falling short. 
And that's where the lack of trust comes in versus if you had slow played it, they would have said, all right, well, these are building years. Let's move this forward. So I think it was just a misread of their situation and how quickly and ready to win some of the young guys were. So you think that the Zion Ingram situation should last for one more year, or do you think we're going to start hearing trade rumors from Brandon Ingram? No, I think we're definitely going to get another year out of it with those two. And then it'll be, all right, you know, can, can you build a winner around these two guys? And if so, you know, does it have to be with such specific players? And if, and if you really feel like you can't, then it's going to turn into, all right, which one of them needs to go? And, and, it, and you'll have some who will take the side of Ingram should be the guy you build around, but it'll be very few. It'll be, you know, mostly, all right, do we need to cash in on Ingram, send him somewhere? And Ingram is one of those guys you're starting to get some whispers of, you know, is this guy a guy who's just going to destined to put up, you know, go really good numbers, but on teams that aren't very good, mm-hmm. is, you know, does his game, you know, really lead to winning? I think it can, um, but I think if you're going to build a team built around Ingram and Williamson, you have to have shooting around them, and then you have to have guys who are going to defend and really defend well, and that's where, you know, that's where it gets a little little tricky. It's, it's, it's odd because there's so few players uh, of this ilk but like a Miles Turner type of player is almost perfect for them um, where, where you need a big who can do some of the rim protection stuff and block some shots, but also space the floor. Um, I would look for them. If, if, if I was running the team, you asked me that question very early on, what would I do? Um, if I'm going to run it back with a lot of these same guys, I would do everything I can to land a guy like Daniel Tice in the off season. Cause I think he would be a really good fit next to Zion up front um, because he'll do all the dirty work. He'll do the screening. He'll do the shot blocking. Um, he'll box out. He'll do all that stuff. And he can shoot from the outside a little bit. And most importantly, he's affordable. Whereas a lot of other people go to go make a trade for miles Turner. I don't know how they can pull that off and make that happen. Um, but, but I, I would do something along those lines uh, there because that, if that's what you're going to do. And I think you owe it to those two guys and yourself if we build the right type of roster around them, can it work to at least give it a shot? Smooth transition. Final question. Same conversation with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. One more year. Uh, yeah, it's a, they're definitely going to get another year. The Celtics uh, standpoint is this year has been so ruined for them with, with the COVID absences. I, I want to say they were at like 167 uh, games lost due to COVID, which was like 10 or 15 more than the next team. And then it was uh, beyond that. It was, they, they have more than it's either the bottom 11 or 12 teams combined with COVID absences, just because they've had so many guys out. Uh, then it, it's, they're really looking at it as Kemba Walker was out to start the season. By the time he got back, Jason Tatum was out with COVID. Tatum came back. Marcus Smart was out. Marcus Smart came back. Tristan Thompson was out. Tristan Thompson came back. And then Evan Fournier had to go go back out for a while after they just acquired him. And that's where – and then sprinkled in throughout that was a bunch of you know injuries to Jalen Brown, probably a lot of it due to overuse and having to carry too big of a load while other players are out. So they're, they're really kind of – they're not – it's not that they've written this season off because they still have hopes that if they can find that magical uh, health pill that they'll move forward – but I think what you'll see is next year is going to be a big year for this team to really start to figure out, all right, now we know what the pecking order is. It's Tatum and Brown at the top, and everybody else on this roster has to be maximized to support them. Um, that, that, that's what you need to do around those two guys. And I think that's where next year becomes really, really important because if they don't make tangible moves forward, up in the standings and get back up to being a team that can contend for the finals, then I think you have some longer-term questions that you have to start to look at because your other worry is, do Tatum and Brown start to get antsy? We see these guys when they're a couple years into to these rookie-scale deals. If things aren't going exactly their way, they start looking as, is the grass green or somewhere else? He's at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter, and he's the best. Keith, thanks so much for this. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Keith. All right, Scott, Keith kind of mentioned there that the uh, All-NBA situation is tied financially to a lot of these players. And I think he read your mind because you put together a piece yesterday that's now live on SpotTrack.com that basically details who those players are and how much money they stand to make if they're selected for the All-NBA team. Um, I want to start kind of at the bottom of this piece because De'Aaron Fox has conditions built into his contract. And I think, I think what you had said is this is becoming a thing that it's not as cut and dry anymore. 
Um, and by conditions, I mean, you know, right now he has signed a five-year 163 rookie extension. That will go up incrementally based on which NBA, all-NBA team he makes. So there's three teams. If he makes the third team, he goes up a little bit. If he makes the second team, first team, etc. cetera. It, th- this is the only player we have right now in terms of qualifying for an extension that has this condition. But is it becoming a thing? Yeah, I think it is becoming a thing. It's allowing players to get paid if they succeed and go above and beyond in that final year to trigger these escalations. In in Fox's case, you know, first team is if he's all NBA first team, he gets the full 30%. Yeah. Second team is 28%, third team 26%, and otherwise he gets to 25%. Other guys that we have on our list here, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, their conditions are, it's, they make an all NBA, they get the 30%, if not, and Bam also has built in because he's a big guy, has defensive player of the year built in. He's not going to get that, but those are metrics that are being built in. I think we may start seeing more of the De'Aaron Fox situation where you have more tiers. Uh, There have been extensions in the past uh past couple years that have had an uh, increase uh of that nature whether it's the 26 28 or a 27 and a half uh so i have seen those but I, 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 honest, I, do Scott, think a- I think the league should build in those conditions i think the cba should be amended to include this because it's you have to have a pretty incredible year to have 15 players <laughs> in a season who have played enough to, to warrant this kind of a pay increase. Honestly, that's a lot of players that are it getting is. significant increases. I mean, you mentioned the names, Tatum, Mitchell, Adebayo, and Fox. Like I said, these are previously agreed to extensions. If they get the All-NBA, it's, a, it's, it's an automatic pay raise. Automatic. Jason Tatum will go from 163 to 195.6. It's going to happen. So Boston's going to get sunk, as Keith mentioned, with five to six million in, in, in cap increases every single year for the next five years. Nothing Boston can do about it outside of trading him. <laughs> um, but I love the, the De'Aaron Fox situation. And I think that the 14th All-NBA player is a lot different than the second. And I think in most seasons, that's going to be the case. You know what I mean? I, I mean, if, if, if De'Aaron Fox sneaks onto a th- the third team... Are we saying that he's as qualified to be there as Steph Curry and, you know, some of these top guards in the league right now? No, he's not. There's a big drop off after the top three or four in this league right now. And there's no, I mean, you know, Doncic, all that. And I think the money should, should go with it. I don't think De'Aaron Fox should be eligible for $30 million more because he's the fourth best point guard in a season, which is basically what we're saying here. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I I completely agree with that. The other thing that some of these rookie extensions have had included is the player fifth year player option as well. So what what we've seen with these uh, rookie extensions is they're not only just getting a a full five years at the, you know, 20 percent or 25 percent max that they're getting increases in their salary based on these all NBAs and they're getting the player option. So the players really have a lot of control over. And I don't want to take that away. Scott. I think that's a good thing. And we're seeing other leagues really kind of follow suit. And, and I, I don't want to be here saying I'm shitting on the players truly, but I, I don't think there's any, there's too many people out there that would disagree with what I just said. You know, the, the sixth, the best point guard who made the third all NBA, all NBA team shouldn't get the same rewards as the best point guard in basketball. Right. I, and I, I completely get that. I, I think that we may see more of that moving forward. These tiers, whether it's a 26, 28, or like I said, the 27 and a half that I've seen, I think we're going to start seeing more mm-hmm. of the tiers and maybe I'm way off base, but there, there is a definite trend with this language being built into these rookie supermax extensions that w- we've seen over the last two, three years. So um, 
I'm all for the CBA being amended to have these tiers because then it it's more cut and dry for all of these rookies moving forward instead of getting one guy who you either make the first team and you get the 30% or it's any team and you get the 30% or in Fox's case, you get these tiers. I, I, I'm for, I get the negotiation part, but I think with how much money is ex- at stake and where salaries are getting to that breaking point, mm-hmm. the league is going to have to watch where some of that money gets allocated because uh, you and I have had conversations offline where these salaries, they really are getting to that breaking point for teams. Oh, yes. We'll have a show all about it soon, I promise. So those are the rookies. So those are the rookie extensions, like I said, that are automatically going to adjust if said player does make an All-NBA team. What about the you know, the, the other scenario, Scott? We've got Luka Doncic here who becomes extension eligible for the first time after this season. He's locked in next year, so this would be a 2022 extension, basically. Um, you know, he's already got it once, All-NBA second team last year, but that really doesn't matter. If he gets it this year, preceding his extension eligibility, what are the numbers going to be for Doncic? Yeah, he's going to go from five years, 168, without the All-NBA, all the way up to five years, $201.5 million. And that, again, that is with all. And they're going to sign it to three, it, by the way. It, 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 oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But let's, re, let's keep in mind, that's with a 3% cap increase that is the lowest that can go up. That's so, not. That's a good point. All of these numbers we're saying are based on what, like a 112, one Scott, next year? A 112 cap next year? 112 next year, then 115. Okay. It, yeah, that's it, really that's important. Yeah, it is because that's only the 3% raise that the league has negotiated to just be the bare minimum. So if they get fans in the stands, they get increased revenue from TV ads or everything that's been going on, that cap goes up more than that 3%. That's increased pay for for all of these slotted extensions. All these slotted financials move up. Okay. So Doncic is kind of the no-brainer. I, I do believe he's going to make the LNBA team, of course. <laughs> and I do think Dallas will sign him to a five-year, 200-plus you know, change extension. So that's coming. No-brainer. Here's one that maybe will raise some eyebrows because it feels like he just signed an extension an hour and a half ago. Joel Embiid has two years and over $65 million left on his current contract, Scott. But he becomes eligible this summer to, to, to do it again. There's what, a, a two-year gap? What's the gap between extensions that makes you eligible? Uh, it depends on when you signed your, your contract. In his case, it's a, a three-year span okay. for a five-year deal. So he signed his original extension back in 2017. So he is now eligible at the end of this season to sign an extension and his extension would only be allowed to be up to four years because the maximum amount of years once you sign the extension can be a total of six. So with his two remaining years on the current extension, he can only add on four more years. Okay. And the reason we have him here and the reason we're talking about him now, Scott, is he's not yet, he hasn't played enough game, uh, years yet to, to qualify for that 35% threshold. So he's still on the 30% threshold. However, if he makes an All-NBA team, which, again, seems like pretty much a guarantee at this point, he'll qualify for that Supermax, that 35% extension, which jumps him up from 4 for 160 to 4 for 190-ish, based on the cap. Um, Which, again, it's not the top contract in in the league at all, by any regards. But I think the conversation you and I have, and and I would imagine many have had, is his injury history and his inconsistent play. I don't know if you can rely on the fact that he's just going to make an all NBA every year, you know? So he, Mm -hmm. if he's got it guaranteed this year and he is extension eligible, I think you got to sign that contract. If it's offered to you, I think you got to do it. What do you think? From his standpoint? Absolutely. Right. From Philadelphia standpoint, if he signs that, I almost guarantee they're going to put in the the language that they have in this current extension where there are metrics in there for games missed or injuries based on past history that gives them a way out because 
you know, in 2023, when this extension would kick in, that's a salary starting at $42 million and could go up even more if the cap continues to go up uh, from this base amount that we're going off of. So if you're Philly, you have to weigh the options of do we offer this now or do we wait to see um, the ball is really in Philadelphia's court because they're the one that have to offer the extension to him. So depending on if they want to go that route, do they want to put in the language? Is Joel Embiid their future for the next six years? Because like I said, it would be two plus a four on top of it. Do they want to go six more years down the line at a player that has had injury issues that has had, you know, people watch him. He doesn't always look like he's always into the game and has that demeanor of I'm here just playing. So Philadelphia has a a big decision to make and even bigger if and when he's going to get that all all NBA because it's a big pay pay raise for him. So another two... uh I'll play devil's advocate from both sides here. So number one, I'm only 26 years old if I'm Joel Embiid. Excuse me, I'm 27 years old. Um, so locking in for six more years takes me to 32, 33-ish. I think Philly would be okay with that. Don't you think? I mean, I understand the injury history, and you're right. They can protect themselves on a year-to-year basis with some of those game options. But um, if I'm Philly... And I've got questions, and I don't know if Simmons and Embiid can live together for the next four years, blah, blah, blah. We're in a, we're in a compressed cap situation right now. And these contracts are tied to the cap. And, you know, maybe they're being told a lot more than we're we're hearing or reading, Scott. But is there any any concern out there that the NBA is going to do it again and balloon this cap at some point once things not only get back to normal, but really start to skyrocket again? You know, they're slow playing it this year. They're going to probably slow play it next year, as you've projected here. They may even slow play it into 2023. But at some point, you know, the Players Association is going to look at the revenue and say, hey, we're all okay now. (laughs) Like, it's time for everybody to kind of trickle back up, way up. So is, is Philly doing this on a 112 cap just good business? Short answer is yes, because you're getting value. You already know that that is the bare minimum cap. You, you know it's not going to go below that. It, it can only go up from there. They may smooth this for the next few years, knowing that they're going into a uh, CBA rene- renegotiation situation in a few years, and then they can That's a good point. That's a good point. Mat- you know, they could if they want to change the max up, they can change the max up at that point. They can do, you know, th- there there's been a lot of different things thrown out there that I've heard with the max. And uh, we don't have to go down that road right now. But from Philadelphia's side and Joel Embiid's side, you know, you kind of have to play chicken with that CBA because do you want to wait out? to get to your, thir- you know, he gets the 35% now he's locking himself in. And then you have those high salaries on the back end, but where's that cap going to be? Is he going to want to re up after that? And where, where's that max going to be as far as the cap maximum? Uh, will they have the, the 25, 30, 35% tiers? There's a lot in play. So the, the, the team and Joel Embiid are going to really have to figure out where they want to be because by 2024, you know, his, his extension, if he signed it would kick in in 2023. And if he does a four-year deal, that's going to be what two or three years into that new CBA. So do you want to offer the extension now knowing that the CBA could be renegotiated or do you just, wait until the end of this contract because you have two years left on it to see where Embiid is in two years, especially with injuries. We've seen guys that have signed early, Damian Lillard, Mm -hmm. John Wall. You know, these guys have signed extensions two years in advance and we all scratch our head and we're by the end, like John Wall, we're like, oh, that was a bad, bad situation because he ended up getting injured. Embiid's in the same case. So 
Philadelphia can actually slow play this and and maybe save money because if he doesn't get all NBA in 21 or in You're 22, right. then they don't have to. They'd be buying high this year, Scott, essentially. Yeah, I think that's a good yeah, point. They would. That's a good point. And they do have Simmons locked up, but he's tradable. I mean, there's no question about that. So it's an interesting team to watch. And it's a it's an important postseason run for them as well. Uh, last guy on this list is not extension eligible, Scott. But he's going to be the MVP of the league, which, is of course, <laughs> makes him certain that he's going to be an All-NBA player. What does it mean for Nikola Jokic to, to, to become an All-NBA selection this season? So he would go up to a five-year, $202 million supermax um, right now if, if he would sign it. But with the All-NBA, it goes up to $242 million. Yeah. Again, that's with the 3% increase. I can't stress that enough that these values that we're saying could go up even more. But So that's he, with $63 million left on this contract still. So you're talking about a $300 million investment. For Jokic. Right. And the catch here is he cannot sign it until the 2022 season because he signed his extension in 2018. So you have to wait the three-year period to sign that five, six-year extension when you add on what's left on your deal. So he can he can trigger the All-NBA and trigger that 35% Supermax if he gets – MVP this year, that just that just adds on top of it because it's if you get MVP, it's any year uh, within the last three years that trigger that increase. So if he gets MVP, it doesn't matter if he gets all NBA now or next. Yeah, he's a max. Season, he's he's going to get the super max in there. But it has to be said that he cannot sign this until 2022 season because of when he signed that other extension. Seems like a no-brainer. He's, oh, quick, he's quickly becoming one of the top five players in the league right now, and there's no question about it. Um, yeah. Anyone else stand out in terms of the names? Well, I I think that we need to bring up Zach Levine. He's probably not going to get an All-NBA, but it's worth bringing up because you know it, it is a chance. I mean, he he could get the increase with the Supermax. He's not a free agent until the 2022 season. But the reason I bring him up is if they, if he does not get the all NBA to trigger a supermax, he is still extension eligible, but it's a veteran extension and he can go with an extension of a four year, $104 million. Mm -hmm. If he gets the all NBA, it jumps up to where he could sign a five year, $235 million. So that All-NBA in his case is really, really important as far as finances are concerned. Um, but I, he's very fringe. I don't know if he's going to get it. I don't think he's going to get it with um, a lot of the guards that are vying for those spots. But it's worth noting how much he could make in the event that he does get the nod. I wonder with this Bulls team, and we can finish on this, Scott. You know, we mentioned with Keith how the Knicks might slow play the off season here because a, they kind of like what they are, or they at least want to see more of what they are. And B that 2022 free agent class is just killer. And, you know, they want to make themselves good enough to be attractive and also cap friendly enough to be, to make it possible. Could Chicago be in that similar situation? Now they're not, you know, a playoff team. They're not a contender like the Knicks have a chance to be here right now. They do have some names, and they did make a big acquisition at the trade deadline in Vucevic. Um, Markkanen would be expiring. He's basically an RFA expiring right now. You'd be sending Zach Levine into an expiring contract next year. You know, Vucevic has three years left going forward, but he's kind of your staple right now. He's kind of the, the player you're building around from an offensive standpoint. Is there a chance, Scott, that they don't extend anybody because they don't want to put any future debts on their system knowing that, hey, we might we might actually take it off, take, you know, kind of slow play 2021's offseason, see if anybody takes another step forward. I mean, it's not like Levine has been outstanding. He's been above average at times. He's been very inconsistent. Nice player. 
but I'm not sure he's the second best player on a on a championship team. Is that fair? Isn't he a third? Is- isn't he probably a number three, more of that role guy, that glue yeah, that guy? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So so then that means Chicago has to get, you know, probably a number one. They've got to get a stud to go ahead of Vucevic and, and, and Levine if they're going to keep him. And the only way you do that is either via trade, which I'm not sure they have the pieces to do anymore, or by kind of holding off and hoping that you can snag one of these superstars in 2022. So I just wonder, Scott, if if everything's off the table, extensions, big time free agent acquisitions this year, I think it might just be a let's pause again. Let's let's kind of, you know, hold our breaths because we can if we play this right, we can we can do some damage. Yeah. I completely agree with that take because if you look at the 22 season, they only have one player locked up to a guaranteed salary and that's Vucevic. The other two players that are on the roster, Patrick Williams and Kobe white, they have club options on their rookie deal. Otherwise they're TBDs. Otherwise they have no one there. So if you, if you are the Chicago bulls and you are not in love with Zach Levine, even if he does not make the all NBA, I don't necessarily think they offer an extension if they're not in love with him and want to see what he's going to do in the following, following season here, and then let him be a free agent and see what the market is. Because as we, as you've noted with, with Keith, that 22 off season is chalk full of players. And what have we seen a lot of of recent in in free agent is sign and trades. Zach Levine could potentially be one of those pieces in a sign and trade it's to a another point. team. It's a great point. And they they all they're going to have as of right now a lot of cap space, so they're going to have room to maneuver sort of as the Knicks have with their cap space. You know, they can sign guys outright and and not have to do sign in trades or anything like that. They're giving themselves a lot of flexibility. So I think if I'm the GM of the Chicago Bulls, I think I slow play this. Mm-hmm. I don't give him an extension if I'm not in love with him. I wait and see what he does in the 21 season. And when we have a full 82 game season, it's sort of back to normal. You've got fans in the stands and you give it another year to breathe and, with the and quite Kuchovic frankly, trade. Scott, if he if he demands a trade, if he's if that makes him mad that you're not going to extend him, that you're going to make him play out his expiring contract, you're going to get a good a good return on him if you're forced to trade him because he is having a nice year. He is a fringe All NBA player. There's going to be teams that identify him as a, as a piece to their puzzle. So it's not like Plan B is that bad. <laughs> you know, you'd probably rather have him for the year and see if they can all take that next step forward as more of a full-year unit and then have his rights either to sign and trade or to extend after 2021. But, you know, if he tries to force his way out, you're going to get a nice package back. You're going to. Yeah, he could absolutely next year be a trade deadline candidate that, that gets moved because he's a he has a $19.5 million cap hit salary. Very easy that. to move right now. That is yes. very easy to move right now. And so he, if you're, again, if you're not in love with him and there is a team that wants his services for the remainder of the year, but also wants his rights, then yeah, he's an absolute trade deadline candidate. You move that, you don't have to have that cap hold going into the off season. You're going to have the extra cap space. So there are a lot of avenues. Yeah, I agree with that, Scott. Look, I gave you homework last show and you came through. We're going to have the next show you know, breaking down some of these NFL draft trade-ups. I'm going to give you a homework on this one too, because it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about here. You know, for all intents and purposes, what is the hit rate for early extensions in the NBA, in the modern NBA, maybe the last 10 years or so? You know, we've got some big-time players who get extended. You mentioned, you mentioned Dame, John Wall. I think Russell did it once. I'm pretty sure Harden did it. Um, so your superstars are obviously going to drive, drive the truck with this conversation. But, you know, an early extension for Zach Levine, an early extension for Joel Embiid. What's the hit rate on doing this? You know, do, do those contracts end up being adjusted up at the end of the day? Do those players end up bang for buck in the middle of their extension? You know, Paul George's extension hasn't even started yet. And people are already <laughs> trying to get him the hell out of town. 
Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and that's where we were with John Wall not too long ago. Well, so and I can't imagine point. that the metrics favor doing this. So, so then the question, you know, the, the conclusion question for your homework, Scott, is why are teams doing this? You know, why aren't more teams thinking like we just thought with the Bulls? If, yeah. if you're not a contender, what are you doing locking a guy in for six years out? It's that, that's just an antiquated way to think, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's a great point because we we talked about I don't know a month ago Steph Curry. Are they going to they're slow him playing him? Aren't they? And they're slow playing him to a certain extent right now. So, um, yeah. And, and, and is that is that the Warriors doing it or is it Steph Curry doing it? You know. Yeah, and it could be both. It could be both sides. To be honest, you know, may, maybe. Steph wants to slow play to see where the Warriors are going to be in the next few years, but the Warriors also want to slow play because, uh, again, that cap maximum, where's it going to be? They open that new stadium. The Where is the CBA going to be yeah, when... They're, they're bleeding cash, too, out of there right now. Bleeding it. Because because he he would, if, if he did the extension, um, you know, it would kick in in 2022. So that's a year or two before our new CBA. And so lot, there are a, a lot of variables that teams and players have to look at going forward. Um, and, and that's one of them. So, you know, Steph is going to be going into the final year of his contract. So that that's a different ball of wax. Um, but, you know, he's still going to be extension eligible. Okay. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off. Plenty of NBA coverage there right now, including five NBA coaches who are on the hot seat. It's always <laughs> it's always good to talk about firings. Um, Scott, good stuff today. Good stuff from Keith. Uh, it's kind of good to do a non-NFL show, to be honest. We get down that rabbit hole too much, and, and I understand it, but uh, it's an important time in the NBA season. And uh, I think next time we bring it up, it'll be about gambling because we'll have a postseason picture. We'll have an all NBA probably picture some defensive player of the years. As you mentioned, that's kind of up in the air right now. It's not, you know, a given with so many of the superstars hurt. So uh, hopefully you can have your homework done by then. And we'll, we'll kind of discuss a little bit more about future team building and future odds with the NBA for okay. Scott Allen. My name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the spot trick podcast. <laughs>